Where Death Delights by Bernard Knight Narrated by Jonathan Keeble The author opens this book with the following note. In this tale of crime and detection, you will find no mention of CSI, DNA, SOCOS, PCA, PCR, PACE, CPS, HOMES, FME, or any of the endless forensic acronyms, as the action is deliberately placed in 1955. This was the year the author first became a pathologist, and is a blatant piece of nostalgia, though the era has now become very popular in books, radio and television, possibly as a form of escapism. To write an authentic crime novel nowadays, one has to defer to health and safety regulations, crime scene managers, team initiatives, mission statements, Human Tissue Act, Data Protection Act, Home Office Directives, and all the depressing panoply of the bureaucratic nanny state and political correctness. Maybe our overcrowded world now needs these Orwellian strictures, but the stress levels were far less fifty years ago when a trilby-wearing detective inspector in a belted raincoat could lean against the autopsy table with a fag and a mug of PG tips and chat to the pathologist about last Saturday's game. Though the geography is authentic, shall I just go on? Though the geography is authentic, considerable trouble has been taken to make all the characters and situations totally fictitious. Taciant colloquia, effugiat risus, hic locus est ubi mors gaudet succorera viti. Let conversation cease, let laughter flee. This is the place where death delights to help the living. Inscription on the marble wall of the City of New York Chief Medical Examiner's Office and Morgue. Prologue. The Welsh Marches, May 1955. A small lorry was perched on the rim of the wide concrete bowl. Two hundred yards across, it sat in the green countryside like a giant saucer. Fields sloped down on one side, and woods rose on the other. The purple mass of the Black Mountains loomed on the horizon, beyond the fertile undulations of the borderland between England and Wales. Away on the left, the Skirid could be seen, its profile split by the earthquake said to have occurred on the day of the crucifixion. Three men sat in the cab of the Austin One-Tunner, squeezed together in the comfortable manner of workmen who have a legitimate reason to do nothing and still get paid for it. The driver had a copy of the News Chronicle spread over the steering wheel, while the older man in the middle was marking a folded copy of the Sporting Times with the stub of a pencil. On the near side, the youngest member of the trio, an acne-scarred youth waiting to be called up for national service, stared down into the bowl of the small reservoir, where the steel-grey surface reflected the clouds. They're a hell of a long time coming, ain't they? he complained in a nasal version of a Forest of Dean accent. The driver raised his head from his paper. You did tell him it was urgent, didn't you? Of course I did, but the copper on the other end was as thick as two short planks. I hope we passed it on, 
after me walking best part of a mile to the bloody phone box. As if to allay his concern, there was the sound of an engine labouring up the steep slope of the lane from the main road, and a moment later a black Ford console with a police sign on the roof appeared through the open gateway on the other side of the reservoir. Reluctantly, the waterboard men climbed out and leaned against the back of the truck, which was filled with barrows, spades, and the other implements of their trade. They waited impassively for the car to come up the ramp onto the circular apron. A uniformed inspector and a large man in plain clothes emerged and walked towards them, looking down at the water below. "'What's all this, then?' boomed the inspector in the time-honoured greeting of policemen everywhere. He was a thin man with a lined face and a bushy moustache, almost certainly XRAF, thought the youth. The driver stepped a pace forward, touching a finger to the peak of his flat cap. I'm the foreman, Ted Reynolds.